1: And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. I'm back here with my husband, T.K. Herman. I'm so happy to have him back on the show. And I know many of you are as well. I've gotten such great feedback from the episodes that we've had already with him. And, you know, this topic is super triggering. It's super confronting. It will bring up stories, emotions, feelings. Um, It could bring up trauma from your childhood, from your own relationships. Um, no matter which part you played in that relationship, it will probably be a real record scratch and an interruption to any narrative that has been playing about this topic. You know, having said that, everything that's shared today is simply the experience of one person and he, and he'll say this for himself, I'm sure, and I are not claiming that this is right and it's and that everything else is wrong or that this is how everyone should see it. I'm really, really proud of what we're about to do because We were just praying before hitting record, and what really came to me is the idea that this conversation, this episode, is going to be the humanization of the stereotype of someone who is unfaithful, who steps outside of a marriage, who is what people call a cheater. To humanize that experience and humanize the person whatever we think of the act. It's not to make the act okay, but as I said, it's it's something I've never heard anyone do before. And I'm so grateful to my husband for being willing to be this vulnerable and open. In fact, it was his idea. It's something I've wanted to do for a while, but I didn't feel okay asking him. And I'm really grateful. And I'm actually talking as if he's not here. He's right, sitting here right in front of me. I love you so much. And that's good and just rip the band-aid off. Let's get into it. All right. So you'll be able to share whatever you, whatever you want to share as the podcaster. I'm just going to help and guide with some questions. But if there's a question that just doesn't feel like the direction you want to go, like you're you're the artist here, you're the one sharing, and you're in charge of of what is said. So I'm kind of in the listener's position when I'm the interviewer. I'm really speaking for the listener, like asking questions that I feel would be interesting to have answered. so
0: I think it's important, though, to acknowledge and recognize, too, that while you're taking the position of a listener and you're asking questions, you're also very involved in the story, mm-hmm. right? And so there's, there's a whole perspective. I know that you're going to share some pieces along the way also from your side of things. So I think it's going to be a good episode for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: And when I say no one's ever done this, I do need to give credit to our dear friends uh, Joy and Peter Harrington because she's been super transparent in sharing their story, as has Holly Pickerel. Both of them have been on my show before, and they didn't talk about it on the show. But I want to commend both of them and their spouses for sharing publicly their stories of what people call infidelity and how they repaired their marriages. So you and I haven't experienced infidelity in our relationship, but that is something that is part of your past, before you married me. And I, you know, as you know, people in my life, you know, said things like, once a cheater, always a cheater— how do you feel about marrying someone who has been open about being unfaithful to his wife and you know my first response was who says that's true and number 2 i mean if i'm really honest i'm willing to roll the dice no, you never know but three i know his heart i know who he is and i i just don't believe that would ever happen and i just don't like absolutes you know i when i, when I was a nurse there was a doctor once that said don't ever let a doctor put an expiration date on a patient. If the doctor ever comes in and says to the patient, you have cancer, you have this long to live, you as a nurse need to say to that patient, ignore what he or she just said. That person is not in control of your destiny and you don't have an expiration date. You know, And so that reminds me of like the title of cheater or someone who's been unfaithful or once a cheater, always a cheater. We can buy into that or not. It's almost like saying, how dare you marry someone who uh, who had trauma in their past? No one would ever say that right? Or how dare you marry someone who's ever been divorced in the past? How aren't you worried about marrying someone who had an alcohol addiction in the past? So let's talk about first the the way I used to look at someone who had been unfaithful, much to no one's surprise. If they listened to our last episode, I was very judgmental because I was judgmental about everything, but I was very judgmental When I would hear of anyone, especially men, I'll be honest, who had been unfaithful in a married relationship, so in a committed marriage. And I'm someone who actually called a woman out once. I walked up to her in a public place and said, hey, I just heard that you're the one who broke up my friend's marriage. You should be disgusted that you did that to them. And I am so embarrassed that I treated her that way. I I was projecting my own pain and my own judgment onto her. But here, then, many, many years later, I married someone who confided in me that he had done that. So let's catch everybody up. On the last episode, we had a conversation. We were talking about a conversation you and I had in a bar where I had invited you and your then wife to sit down with me because I wasn't struggling with whether or not I wanted to follow through with divorce at all. I'd been separated for almost a year but I was having a lot of guilt from my community and from friends and from people in my church uh, about following through. And the person I was divorcing was begging me not to. And I came to you, as we said in the last show, and your wife at the time, coincidentally, and I will say coincidentally, it was probably serendipity, but she really was invited. And at the last minute, couldn't come. So it's just you and I, High school friends knew each other forever. Having a conversation about me, and that's when what we didn't say in the last episode was, you said, okay, hold on. Before I go on, when you ask me about how we have such a great marriage, I'm going to tell you something no one knows about me. I trust you. I've been watching you, and I'm living vicariously through you. And what I mean by that is, I've been unfaithful to my wife. I've cheated on my wife a few times. And you opening up and sharing that with me, I never felt any judgment when I heard it. It was true, true vulnerability. And you opened up to me friend to friend and human to human. And I saw so much pain and shame around it that you you didn't have to tell anyone. Your, your wife at the time had no idea. You had two friends that sort of had an idea. No one else knew. I didn't know. So let's talk about Let's just start there.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, as we go back to that conversation, and and I would certainly encourage any of the listeners to go back and listen to, I think it's episode 169 from a couple of weeks ago, on our sort of story and divorce and so forth. But it was really, it was interesting sitting down in that conversation with you, because when you say that that you could sense the shame, that's one thing that I would absolutely say that I had. I don't know that I consciously recognized that, but I hate, I hated that I had been unfaithful in the past. And I had such a a high regard for you and such respect for you. There was a moment in time where you started asking me some questions about, you know, you have this, you know, great marriage, how do you do it, you know, et cetera. And I was sitting there kind of you know jockeying back and forth, do I tell her the story, the whole story the the truth or not and part of me that did not want to tell you the truth was um I didn't want you to judge me, you know I really valued your opinion, I respected you greatly, you know we were friends, but not like best friends at that point in time. I also did not want people to know that about me i i I didn't like that side of me whatsoever, and it was in that it was in really just a brief moment that. You know, I really had sort of, you know, come to the conclusion in my mind that, look, I'm 42 years old. It's time to be a man. It's time to, to step up. And that's when I decided to open up to you and say, you know, what you see on Facebook isn't, isn't the reality. And I went ahead for the next, I don't even know, hour and a half or two hours and kind of unloaded on you. And you're, you're correct in saying that there were two people that knew part of the story, but I had never shared until that moment with you, the entire story. And it was really in that moment that I said, okay, this is this is where it's time for me to step up and be a man and face kind of what I had, what decisions I made in the past.
1: Mm-hmm. And I also want to say, first of all, we don't owe anyone an explanation, but I do think it's interesting. And I personally feel I owe my audience an explanation, but you don't. I want to make sure you, the listener, realize that there was no intention to hide that at all. We These episodes are super organic and they just flow. And when we had that conversation, everything we said was absolutely true. And we never made a conscious decision or had an agreement. Okay, let's not tell them that you in that conversation told me that you had been unfaithful to your wife. It just, he just didn't say it. So I didn't bring it up. And we were more focusing on divorce and how people respond to divorce. So it's really appropriate now in this episode to take a piece of that out and say, okay, there isn't just more to the story and we feel like we need to share that. There's more to the story because one, people don't talk about it enough. There's so much shame around it. There's so much judgment around it. Not enough people are actually just realizing that these are real human people who've made the decision to cheat or be unfaithful and they're made to be such awful narcissists and villains, you know, so let's talk about that. But the other reason I'm excited and I feel really good about the fact that it's a separate episode is because it definitely would have derailed that other episode in that conversation. And that wasn't even planned. That was planned, you know, by something bigger than us, because this has worked out really well. So let's talk about, we had that conversation. You didn't just say, hey, I've been living vicariously through you. I'm not as happy as you think, et cetera, et cetera. You said, I have had affairs. Those are the words, I think that's the word you use, affairs. And I have to admit, I was blown away. I was shocked. Why? Because we have this, especially women, I believe, we have this idea of the kind of guy who cheats. And it's like the booty call guy. It's the, sorry to use this term, if you have kids around, either mute or tell them to plug their ears. The younger generation calls them fuckboys. Fuckboys okay? I pictured guys who cheat as guys who had huge egos. They were jerks. They were super like full of themselves, slimy, and that I really trust my intuition. And I always thought I could read that as soon as I met a guy. So I was shocked because you never once gave me obviously any of those vibes, but you also never hit on me one time. You never gave me a look. You never gave me a little wink. You know, I mean, women, you know what I'm talking about. There are men that you know, even if they would never act on it, they might give you a look and you know, they're looking at you. T- I had been around TK several times when I was separated and he was married and it just never happened once. And so when you said you had had affairs, I was like, Am I being punked? Is there a hidden camera somewhere? There's no way this is true. And that's why I'm glad we're talking about this. I think a lot of people listening, TK, they also think that way. Now, on one hand, they might be like, oh my God, I'm so disappointed. I had TK. I thought TK was a good guy. Shit. Okay, this <laughs> sucks. I thought Jill had this great husband. Now I found out he's a X, Y, Z, right? That, that might happen. That's a risk of sharing this. But it's interesting because the more you shared, the more I realized, oh my gosh, that, the unfaithfulness, the cheating, all of that, it just comes, it reminds me of just a wounded little boy. Now, making a bad decision, I am not saying it's okay. <laughs> I said to TK, any man who ever cheats on me can just like find his way to the door and I will cut a bitch. <laughs> no, but I, I'm not okay with cheating at all. I, I'm, I've, openly said to you, I wasn't nice in the beginning, was I? I was very judgmental. And I said, I hate that you did that. It's disgusting. I hate that you would do that to any human being, let alone the mother of your children. How could you have done that? I You guys, I ripped him apart. Even after we were married, I would say things like, I love you to pieces, but bro. That is disgusting. Like, how did you do that? And then I would, remember, I would try to get in your mind and say, explain it to me. Because I had plenty of opportunity when I was married. I had a much worse marriage than yours. I had all of the boxes checked on this girl deserves to have a side boyfriend. I had doctors hitting on me right and left. And it just never entered my mind. I just could never imagine doing that. So I thought I was better than you. And I, I openly will admit, I did. I thought it was like a character flaw, a lack of integrity. And I remember you saying you had gone to therapy, and the therapist said this isn't a character flaw. And I'm like, yeah, well, she's an idiot, <laughs> right? I feel very differently now. But, but go ahead and share. Well, that,
0: that's an interesting conversation as far as the the therapist, because after I had um, told my then wife that I wanted a divorce, we had gone to a therapist. Um, you know, with the, I, the idea was that we we're still kids involved, right? And they're still going to be, have to have a relationship moving forward. And again, at the time, she, my ex, now ex, did not know anything about the affairs. And, um, I had, I had talked openly with the therapist one-on-one and I basically laid everything out, you know, with the therapist. And she said, therapist said, have you considered telling XYZ that? the truth. And I said, yeah, I'm not going to do it. I mean, instantaneously, I said, I'm not going to do it. But the reason that I was not going to do it was because I knew I had such shame and I, it was such a weight on my shoulders that I hated that I showed up that way. And that's why today. But like, wait, I,
1: let me interrupt. That doesn't make sense to me. So it was a weight on your shoulders and it was a lot of shame around it. So why didn't you want to tell well, her? Well,
0: Because me, and I said this to the therapist, I said, me, coming clean with her and telling her everything you have no idea the relief like like the weight that will come off my shoulders instantly when I say that and but, I said I have I, I have resigned the fact that this is a cross that I'm going to bear the rest of my life and and we can get into why they happened in the in the beginning but I didn't want to share that
1: no and, but I'm still not getting it why didn't you want to share it?
0: because I, I I felt like I would take the burden that was on my shoulders and put it on her
1: okay you didn't say that yeah. that makes total sense yeah I didn't
0: I didn't want I didn't want to place that burden on her on and that her. Weight on her
1: yeah I right? get that and
0: I felt like it was my responsibility because I had I had made these choices that that was the weight that I was going to carry
1: well and you and I were very close friends at that time and when you told me all that that night I said the same thing I said on one hand I feel like she deserves to know because my god it's just it just it made me so angry that you had done that to someone. But at the same time, I was feeling just what you just said. Okay, but now you're going to put this on her and she's going to have to deal with that and the fact that she's getting a divorce. Like my entire marriage has been unfaithful off and on. Was it even real? I can't even imagine what that felt like. So you did end up...
0: Well, and so, so the therapist said to me, she said, you know... Unless there's a situation where it's a sexual addiction, which this was clearly not. She said, when, when an affair happens in a marriage, one person makes the decision to step outside the marriage. That's a whole separate conversation. But both parties in the marriage are responsible for creating the environment where that's even a, an option, where that thought even crosses one of their minds. And she said to me, you know, you're that's totally fine if you don't tell her, but if you don't, Just understand that, that she will never fully understand what's happening with the divorce and the the relationship. Yeah. And the part that she played and she will go, and this is the part that really got me. She goes, she will go on to repeat those things in future relationships. And it was literally when she said that, I go, okay, I'll tell her tonight. And I went home that night and I just laid everything out.
1: Okay. Um, Honey, before we get to that, I'm going to read something to our listeners. Amy Batuski, who's been on this show. Let me pull this up. She put something on Instagram that has so much to do with what you just shared. And it it's, it's quite triggering and confronting. And it's it definitely probably pissed some people off and hurt some people. Yet I, I am now in a place where I believe this, not because I want it to be true, not because I'm married to you. Because I spent a lot of our marriage not believing this and believing that you were the only one in the wrong with what happened in your last relationship. But I love this. I'm going to read the whole thing really quick. Okay. She said, I will never hate a man for you. You cannot count on me to call your ex a narcissist, to get on your ride and blame him for your problems or the downfall of your relationship. I will not take your side and let you off the hook. Every relationship takes two to tango. We all have a part to play. And it does not serve you for me to fall for your victim story and absolve you of your responsibility in whatever experience you co-created. I will stay fiercely loving of you and of him. I will remember his humanity. I will have compassion for his trauma, his nervous system dysregulation, his wounded inner child's coping mechanisms. I will remember your humanity. I will hold you to your highest by reminding you how you get free. You get free when you own your part, when you acknowledge where you sold out on yourself, where you violated your own boundaries, acted entitled, lost your voice, protected your heart with armor, got controlling. You get free when you give yourself grace and when you give him grace. He is imperfect and so are you. I deeply believe we're all doing our best given the trauma and limiting tools we ended up with and i will bring you back to your best i will not hate a man for you i will love him for the gift that he is and was for you in helping to set you free
0: it's good so yeah.
1: good and listen you and i are in a different place some people listening be like yeah bullshit I mean, asshole who could do that how could you do that
0: i don't say any of this and i don't share any of this in any way, shape, or form to make an excuse to uh, expect somebody to give me grace. I mean, I'm also totally fine sharing this, and I I actually share it, fairly openly with people and, and I usually preface it with, with saying don't judge me but honestly if you do that's not my issue mm-hmm. right and so but I share the story a lot because I, I just think there's so much to learn from sort of what I went through and it might help you know either somebody listening might be going through this might they might be the one that's me they might be in a relationship with somebody that's me uh, or they probably know of, of a relationship you know whether it's friends family who.
1: And honey, if they're in a relationship with someone who is stepping outside of the marriage, they either know it and they're looking the other way, pretending it's not true. They truly have no idea or they know it and they're trying to decide how to deal with it, et cetera. Cause yeah. it reminds me of my previous marriage. I just had something come up while we were, while you were talking. Isn't it interesting that we were both married to other people for 18 years? And I talk about how I had plenty of opportunity to be unfaithful. It never even entered my mind. I would have never done that, et cetera. Yet I was married to someone who was essentially cheating on me, but with alcohol right. and prescription drugs for 18 years. And guess what? I didn't know either. Like I knew a little bit in the beginning. And I guess I, I looked the other way and I, I wanted to believe it wasn't true. So I didn't see it. And it wasn't until it came crashing down and really, really, really boldly hit me that I realized how bad it was and, and what was really going on. So I can kind of, I'm not comparing it directly, ladies, but I can kind of identify with the, the woman who is sort of being cheated on and kind of looks the other way or doesn't really know. Cause people ask, how did someone not know? Like, cause your ex had no idea. She even says today, no clue.
0: No, but I would, I would agree with what you're saying though, that it's hard being on the other side of, especially in my story, there were definite signs. But at the same time, you have to give grace to the other person because if that's not even a thought, like with you and, and your ex in terms of alcoholism, if that thought never crosses your mind, you're not looking for signs, you know, by any stretch. And so I think that there was a part of me in the beginning of the process of being open about this that would, that would look at her and say, how did you not see this? I can, I can list 10 different things, 10 ways that my personality changed. And, and in the beginning, I was almost in a way judgmental. This is going to sound terrible, but I was almost judgmental towards her. Like, see, this is an example of how you, you were not really in touch with our relationship. At the same time, again, when I go back and, and actually look at the fact that maybe she wasn't that way, because she never thought that I would do that. Right? Yeah, and I that's... remember a
1: conversation with you where I, because you said, you know, there there was one point in time where there were like phone records in the car mm-hmm. and she went out, how did she not, how in the world did anybody see that and not put two and two together? And I said, it's called trust. Yeah. I remember where I was sitting in my minivan when I told you that. I was almost angry sticking up for her saying, dude, the reason she didn't notice is because she trusted you. Like right now in our relationship, you would never, never look for evidence to to see if whether or not I was being faithful to you because you trust me implicitly right. and I feel the same about you. So we could go so many different directions within the same topic. And I want to make sure we cover something that we haven't talked about you know, There's a saying that I know does not feel good to you, so I want to share ahead of time that I appreciate you letting me say this. Just the term cheater, I know, doesn't feel good to you. But there's a saying, once a cheater, always a cheater. I certainly don't know if I'm correct or not, and each listener probably has their own opinion on this. My theory on this saying is that, one, it's catchy, and it's been said so many times over so many years, it's just become a term that people just use. I think that with my my training, I would say that the reason we say it too is it's an excuse to armor up. If I assume once a cheater is always a cheater, then I don't have to open my heart up to someone who has that in their past. I can stand in judgment and I cannot look at my own stuff and I can also not open my heart up to you because I'm so afraid that I might get hurt. and so it's easier to just label. We'll say you. I'm not talking about you in particular. Label the person who has this in their past. And if you think about it, there are so many things that we carry into relationships that are quite similar. They don't carry the same type of pain and the same type of effect on another party as stepping outside of a marriage, yet they're still hurt and betrayal. And my example is I was in a marriage where my husband stepped out of our marriage for substances. And I understand someone whose spouse was unfaithful might have said that you have no idea. That's not the same. I could say the same thing to you. You're right. It isn't the same and you have no idea. It's still betrayal. Yes, it's different. It's still betrayal. So I'm just thinking about the fact that when we look at people who are, let's say, going to recovery and they have an open history of alcohol abuse or you know, some sort of substance abuse, and then they get married, let's say they get divorced and then they remarry, they're not going to be labeled with the term, well, once a user, always a user, people probably might, but probably aren't going to go to that new spouse and say, hey, are you sure about this? Once a user, always a shoot user, you know, people who use, they always go back. So I just find that interesting. Admittedly, I'm someone who used to say that <laughs> about men who, especially who were unfaithful. And I think I shared that already. If I if I didn't, um, I openly admit that I did. I was quite judgmental. I even confronted a woman who had had an affair with my friend's husband and I was not nice. So let's talk a little bit about that term. Once a cheater, always a cheater. I am your wife now. I don't believe that to be true, not because I want it, to not be true because I'm crossing my fingers or white knuckling it. I just I I know with you that that's not the case. Why do you think people say that? And and what would you say if someone said to you, "Once a cheater, always a cheater." You're just going to do the same thing to Jill.
0: It's interesting because actually a friend of mine said those exact words to me. You know when after you and I were involved, I, I don't even think we were engaged yet, but it was pretty early on in our relationship. And he made the comment to me, something, something of, What about when I do this to, to Jill or when I cheat on Jill? And I'm like, I don't think you get it. You're not hearing what I'm saying that that's not going to happen. That's not even an option. And I also understand why people think that way. It's, it's truly a scarlet letter that you wear on your chest when you've when you've been unfaithful and been labeled a cheater but I think that you know you have to dive into why somebody takes that path and again I'm not saying any of this to uh, lessen the pain that I've caused people and all of that but the reasons that I went down that path just didn't exist anymore especially after I'd admitted everything that I had done and that weight was lifted off my shoulders There was no chance, A, that I was ever going to go down that path again and put that weight back on my shoulders. And then two, in the relationship with you, I had everything that I'd been searching for, you know, all those years. And again, that doesn't excuse any of my actions in the past, but it's just not an option. And the other part that, but I understand why people think that way. And I would even understand too, why you might. Always have a question mark in your mind i 'm not saying that you do you can, you can you can address and talk about how you felt in the beginning too because I think that 's an important topic. but I do know that you know i 've said before that Everybody, and especially you as my wife, will know the day that I die that I was as honest as I possibly could be with that word saying it, it will never happen. It's like it's been washed away from my DNA, if you will. That, that That's not something that would ever happen again. And again, I, I can say those words. It's just it's watching my feet that are going to, you know, cause people to, to go, okay, he's, he's telling the truth. And that's, that's kind of how he is.
1: Mm-hmm. And I don't want it to be too much about you. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I want to also just focus on people in general who have that in their past as we look at them, even if they're just someone from our church, they're our neighbor, they're in our community, they're the parent of one of our kids' friends, and we hear that they had been unfaithful. You know, just remembering that even if we are not in relationship with them intimately, intimately. When we armor up and we judge them, and even if we don't think we're being judgmental, but we're just saying a fact, people will say, I'm not judging him. It's just a fact. People who cheat tend to cheat. Again, they tend to just be people who cheat. When we do that, let's also not forget, and this is something I didn't learn until a few years ago, that that armoring up actually hurts us. So Jack, the neighbor who I heard cheated on his wife, right? Right. If I don't even say out loud, but I have this feeling in my body when I see him of, I can't believe he did that to her, or a feeling in my body towards her like, oh, poor thing. I can't believe she went back to him, or I can't believe that second wife married him. That's not like a grave and mortal sin. But I think the thing I learned that I find so interesting is that that armoring up is actually blocking love for myself. That's actually... Blocking energetically abundance on some level because it's keeping me in a lower vibration. It's keeping me in a place. There's either there's only love and fear. And when I say that that or think that even in the, the, the feeling sorry for the woman, that's still not love. Feeling sorry for someone and and wanting to rescue them or feeling sympathy versus empathy does not come from love. Sympathy comes from the source of fear. Empathy comes from the source of love. So, you know, when people do that, they they may not realize that. So as you're listening, just think about when you've done that. And instead of thinking to yourself, oh, I did something wrong, maybe just think, you know what? It's so interesting. As I give him or her grace, that's giving myself grace. As I give him or her grace, that's opening myself up to more love and more truth and more abundance.
0: The thing that I would add to that also as you were talking, it made me think about this conversation with this this person many years ago now. I haven't even thought about that since you know this topic just came up right now, and so I have no idea if that other individual is thinking that or looks at pictures that we might put on Facebook or Instagram or something and, and thinks that way, but I don't give it a second thought, and so I'm not putting any energy into it and so to your point, if you're putting that energy into somebody else's relationship, you know what what are you blocking there? from being able to come into your field just by even thinking those thoughts, if that mm-hmm, makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and if it's just a passing thought, that's one thing. But if it's something you sort of fixate on every time you see them at an event or every time you see them out and about, or especially if you would see them in a place of worship, if that shows up and you get a feeling in your body, whether your heart races or you get sweaty or you're, you might get a little um, itchy or warm or a pit in your stomach, That shit has everything to do with you and nothing to do with Jack. (laughs) That's triggering something in you that you have either not dealt with, you have not faced, it's your own fear in your own relationship. It's the fact that maybe subconsciously, you don't even remember consciously, but your body remembers an argument your parents had when you were four years old about a mistress. I mean, this is this is what we talk about in BU. We talk about trauma, what your mind forgets, your body remembers. Your body's that living library that files everything away, and it will remember everything your mind either forgets. Or can't remember because you were before the age of two or can't remember because it was so traumatic. Your, your mind sort of saved you by, by filing it away in your body. And so when you see the person who was cheated on or cheated and you get a feeling in your body and it's more than just, eh, it's really important to go into that for yourself. It has nothing to do with those people, but to love on yourself and say, okay, what is it in me that is so bothered by that, either so worried for the person, I feel sorry for her and I want to rescue her, or make sure she knows that maybe it'll happen again or whatever, or the feeling I get in my body just when I see him. What is that? And many times we'll never remember what it is, but that's why I'm such a fan of somatic work, right? You do breath work. You'll do some other form of healing work, and you may never, ever consciously make the connection. But maybe when you release through crying or release through anger or some other way of releasing somatically, you have no idea that when you cried after breath work, it was your body letting go of the fear your whole childhood that if my daddy cheated on my mommy, then I never am going to be safe with a man. And you didn't even know that you thought that.
0: Yeah, and I think too, you know, there's... (laughs) Infidelity in marriage is way, way more common than I think most people think. I remember going going back to that counselor that I had the conversation with and came completely clean with. Um I, I don't remember the exact statistic, but it was, you know, 60-some percent of marriages, you know, have infidelity somewhere in the marriage. And you know, which obviously if you think about it, that that could be a parent, it, it could be a spouse. It, it's it's very prevalent. So it's no wonder that it's also a button that could trigger trauma inside of you because there's probably somewhere in your life, either you know about it or don't know about it, that that was the case. And, and I remember too thinking about, there was, there was one point early on where I came across your people that were very, very judgmental towards me. And I remember sitting there thinking that there's about 10 people sitting at this table and, and I, and I remember that statistic, you know, Oh, from, he said
1: that in front of 10 people. No, 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 no. Oh. He didn't
0: say this. I'm just, I mean, this oh. is a different, different situation. Okay. But there was about 10 people sitting at this table. And I remember sitting there thinking, given that statistic, just look around the table there, because while you're judging me, and maybe it didn't happen in your marriage while you're judging me, I guarantee you somebody else at this table is either the person that's cheating on their spouse or is being cheated on, but they're not telling you that.
1: Yeah. Or that person has been cheated on or will be in the future. Right. And they're unaware of it. It is more common than we realize. Like I did not realize until I can't think of her name. I think she's a psychologist. She's beautiful and she's French and she's older than us, maybe late sixties. And she talks a lot about affairs and relationships and sex. And you've seen her. We've, we've watched her many times together.
0: I can't think uh, of her uh, name
1: right now. But she's the one who gave the statistics. And that's just on the affairs that are reported. You know, there is a lot. And then there are different levels, right? There are emotional affairs. There are sexual affairs. There are affairs that are only about sex. And the person is still madly in love with their spouse. I mean, this is not to make excuses. But I was just talking to a friend recently about this episode. And I was saying, you know, it's interesting. There are so many different reasons, not excuses, the reasons behind why people step out of a marriage and they cheat or they're unfaithful, whatever word you want to use. We've touched on a few. We haven't really talked about there's sex addiction. Sometimes it has to do with their mother wound or their father wound. Sometimes there's a like physical abuse in the relationship, let's say, or mental or verbal abuse in the marriage. But it's not something they're willing to call a deal breaker. And so they confide in someone else who becomes a dear friend who sort of saves them and rescues them. And they have an emotional affair. Like there's just so many things, so many different reasons and, and causes for affairs. But I want to also say that one reason I wanted to have this episode was to sort of get into the psyche of someone. And I, I don't know any person who'd be willing to admit, I'm so grateful to you. And I would say I admire it a lot because, you know, I bear my soul on this podcast and it's very rare. A lot of people are not willing to show their stuff, their dirty laundry. They don't want any more people to know than already know. And you're now on a podcast listened to by people in 120 countries. (laughs) And a lot of people in our community listen to this podcast. A lot of people don't know this about you. A lot of people listening to this podcast, heard our last episode, they're like, oh my God, your husband's amazing. And I was like, you know, so thank you for being willing to say, look, I fucked up. I made choices that I am so not proud of. I carried so much shame for so many years. Please don't think that people who cheat, you know, of course there are narcissists, right? There are some people who are just, have a different feeling around it, but there are a lot of people like my husband Who did it and they hated that they did it and they hated themselves for it and they, they kept doing it. Yes. But it's also like the reason people, you know, people use a a drug or they overeat, right? And then they go into a shame cycle. The shame is actually what gets them to take the hit again because the shame gets you into a pit and that low vibration, that low energy, that dark feeling, that loneliness, that emptiness, that isolation, that I'm not good enough, I'm unworthy, that is what gets you to take another hit. That's what gets you to go overeat again when last time you're like, I'm never doing this again. I'm starting on Monday, right? That's what gets you to take a drink again. And that's, in my opinion, what gets many people to go out and be unfaithful again. It's really not that they want to be. It's connected to the shame, et cetera. But then again, as I said, there are other You know, situations which you've explained where you were not in a place where you were willing to leave the marriage, unfortunately. You wish you had, but you hadn't. And you were searching for something and you admittedly, I'm sort of like putting it in a nutshell to make sure we're all on the same page. I don't mean to speak for you. Um, Obviously, correct me if I say anything that's not correct, but what I hear you saying is you weren't willing to leave for all the reasons described in the last show and in this show so far, sort of like not able to because of where you were in life. You were a huge people pleaser. You had total enmeshment with your parents. You had them on a pedestal, which was so, 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 so like unattainable for anyone. Not fair to them, really, that you had them on that pedestal. And you were so worried about disappointing them. So you thought, well, I'll just secretly go out and get what I truly need and live an authentic life on the side. Yeah. You know? No, I'm saying authentic yeah, on saying, the yeah, side, yeah. Yeah. covertly, secretly in the closet. And then I'll go back to the life where I feel suffocated by, it's just like, a, I started to say it's like a limbo, but it's actually more like a, a living hell that you would choose.
0: I can definitely say that it was not, in hindsight, it wasn't an enjoyable process. Some people might not like me saying that, but.
1: Why wouldn't they like you saying that?
0: They might have a picture in their mind of, of going out and hooking up with somebody and that kind of stuff. But the living a lie like that is not something that, again, unless you're a true narcissist or, and have no feelings is not something that's a pleasurable thing. Mm-hmm. You know, by any stretch. And that's again back to the point of, of me sort of coming clean, not only, you know, in, in my past, but even in this podcast for that matter. This is even, even the, doing a podcast like this. Like I, I don't, I don't have any shame talking about this with mm-hmm. friends of ours. I'm very, I'm very out uh, forthcoming. But this is just even one more layer because I'm even putting it out there (laughs) in a much bigger way, right? To your point with a much bigger audience. So, yeah, I I agree with that. I am curious, though, to flip things around. I think the listeners might find it interesting to kind of hear your vantage point, you know, because coming into a marriage, especially with your past, having uh, the trauma that you've had in your childhood and also in your previous marriage, too, I think that's a big hurdle for for you to overcome also in a mm-hmm. way I mean I, I don't want to put words in your mouth but that might be interesting to talk about.
1: Yeah, well, and speaking of coming clean, I've said this on the show before so this isn't the first time, but if you're a first-time listener or maybe you didn't hear an episode where I shared this, I've been very transparent about the fact that I fell in love with TK before he was divorced. You know, TK was legally married and had told his wife, "Look, I it's this is how I feel. I'm finally making this decision. Don't want to be married anymore. But then it didn't go any further. They were unwilling. I would say they, I don't want to, I don't want to speak for her, but you were unwilling to tell your children that you were getting a divorce because it, 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 it ties to the same issues we talked about before. And you, you know, wanted to wait an entire summer for like your son to get through his sports, et cetera. And so Really what I should have done, the ethical thing to do, and the thing that would have been best for me, for sure, would have been to then say, okay, then I, I'll see you in six months or five months or whatever it is. Um, although we didn't have a relationship, we were madly in love. We were messaging each other. Now, it wasn't in secret, though. I mean, your ex-wife very much knew that the marriage was over, that you were getting a divorce. But the problem is the world, as in our community, didn't know. So that's why it looked like we had an affair. And that's why it looked like you left your marriage for me. But I want to talk about, I mean, I could probably, maybe I will do a completely different episode. And what does that feel like? Because the person I am today, I would have Never done that, not because it was wrong, right? I would have never done that because I love myself too much now. I have too much respect for myself now. I would have said to any man, clearly we are soulmates. Clearly, you know, you've been living this way for many years and you're ending your marriage, but I actually don't want to be in any kind of relationship with you, not only until the divorce is final. Eh, I don't know about that, actually. The paperwork is silly, and it took forever because of financial stuff. But I would say to any man, or if I were back in those shoes, I would say, I don't want to be in a relationship with any man until he has done the healing work that it takes for a minimum of six months, minimum, after getting divorced. Probably a year. I probably would say, look, if we're meant to be, I'll see you in a year. But I, as you said about yourself, I'm not the person I was then. And I'm not, I wasn't then the person I am now. I did the best I knew how. And so in that circumstance, I, my heart already opened up to you. I found something I didn't even know existed. I wasn't out searching. I said I would never marry again. My husband had been out of our house for a long time. We were done, 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 right? And I never wanted to marry again. I said I was going to put everything into my faith, my business, and my children. And that was it. And I I truly said, I mean, I, I in my 60s, 70s, I won't be married again. So I wasn't searching for a soulmate. I wasn't searching for love. I wasn't searching for any of that. I had a friend in you and then once you had that conversation with me and told me what you told me, I was like, this is so crazy because I was literally just thinking to myself, if I ever would be in a relationship in the future, it would be with someone exactly like you or, or it would be something that would give me what I feel like I get in our, in our friendship. And so that's not what you asked me, but I want to share that, that that was brutal. It was awful. It broke my heart into a million paces. I, I actually felt, TK, like you were cheating on me. And I, we worked with our our coach, Steph, and he said, because you kind of, he kind of was. Like, that's a whole different, kind of a different topic, but it's part of the same one, where, you know, I understand someone listening might go, girl, please, he was married. Okay, but it's, it's also like, he was not, emotionally, intimately, anything connected to his ex-wife and they were not telling the kids yet, but she absolutely knew that he had feelings for me and she absolutely knew that they were getting a divorce. It was just a matter of telling the kids after the sports season is over after the summer and working out logistics financially. Like it was just, that was it. It was done. But so someone might say that, but if you're someone who has ever been in a relationship with someone or maybe you meet someone in the future and they're in a place where they're not quite yet divorced, you have to follow your own heart and your own intuition. But as your friend here, my advice is to run the other direction and know that if it's meant to be, you will find it. You will find each other again. Because the part that I can't explain to my husband is, I felt like a mistress. I felt like a side piece. I didn't know when he would, you know, tap me on the shoulder and say, okay, you get to come out of the closet now. Now we can, you know, pursue a relationship. It was, he was a hundred percent in charge. I had no say in anything, but I also had no idea what was really going on. Meanwhile, I had already opened up my heart. I was already, already madly, madly in love with him. But I knew that this was my future. And as they say in Harry, when Harry met Sally, when you find the person that you want to live with your the rest of your life with, you want the rest of your life to begin right now, like as soon as possible. And I didn't get to do that. Now, I'm not saying he had it easy, but it was just brutal. Brutal is putting it mildly. Because one, I was getting the wrath of community. I was getting the just venom and just nastiness from his friends. I mean, just messages on Facebook calling me a homewrecker, calling me a whore, calling me a slut, um, her girlfriends messaging me and saying horrible things to me and about me. Of course, no one knew our side of the story. No one knew really what happened or what didn't happen. But I had to endure all of that, but I had to endure it alone. So although he wasn't in a relationship Intimately and in a traditional marriage anymore, he was still living at his house. He was still having cookouts with his family. And one time the wakeboard coach, you know, came and I was talking to you on the phone. You said, Hey, I can't talk. And you almost basically hung up on me. And it was just awful. And I only share that because this is the stuff people don't want to talk about. So if you ever find yourself almost in that, that situation, remember that what you enable, you invite. And it is going to be ugly and brutal, and it's not going to feel good. And when the time is right in divine timing, you'll both be available fully. You don't need to wait for the approval, by the way, of the friends, the family, and the community. Who cares what they think? Everyone's always going to make up a story. They're always going to take the heat off of themselves and focus on you. So who cares about that? But make sure that that person is emotionally sexually, intimately, spiritually, physically, and mentally, fully capable and ready to be there for you in every capacity? And my husband now, TK then, was not. But it's my fault, not his. It is my fault for not saying, I deserve better from this. You go ahead and take all summer to tell your kids you're getting a divorce. Do you really think it's going to make a difference in his wakeboard contest? He's 10. (laughs) Like, really? Really? You you, you guys dragging your feet. To me, it was just bizarre. Like you're certain you're getting a divorce, but you're not going to say anything for three months. Go ahead and do that. It's your life, but I'm out. Peace out. I'm going to go live my life. I'm probably down to date around. And if it's meant to be, I'll see you in a year. I wish, I wish I would have done that and I didn't. And, you know, I learned a lot of lessons besides the hate I got from people and the labels and the venom. I also learned a lot about what I allow. And what I enable and how I had a pattern of letting men be more important than me. Letting men make their decisions, their choices, their desires more important than me. I mean, I was 10 steps up from the first affair you had where you were in love, but it still was similar. I had no, what do you call it? Like I had no power. I wasn't in the power seat. And it was awful. And I say all of this. With no charge whatsoever. Like I used, there was so much charge behind it before. If you're listening, you're wondering, how is this going? Like we're sitting here together, face to face, talking about something that is so just painful. But this is when we talk about speaking from, loving from, creating from your wounds or your scars. If I had done this podcast three years ago, it would have been awful. We would have been arguing and I would have been crying and I would have been angry. And speaking of somatics and trauma, I did a lot of healing work around that. So I have no physical symptoms right now. And the way you know if you've really healed something like that is if you feel physical symptoms. I don't feel my my symptoms are I get really hot. My heart races. My hands get a little sweaty. I don't have any of that. I don't have any feeling that I want to cry. There's nothing that needs to release. Why? Because I've healed it. I've made peace with it. I've forgiven. I've forgiven myself. I've moved on. So as I share this, don't be uncomfortable for me as you're listening, because I'm completely comfortable sharing this. So that wasn't the answer to your question, but I just want to share that piece because someone listening is going to find themselves in that position, or maybe she has, or he has. And right now they're like, oh my gosh, I'm still beating up my partner for that. And that's what I did. I crucified TK for a few years for those first two and a half months or whatever it was. And I realized that the burden was on me. I was the one who should have said, nope, not tolerating this. I love myself too much. I have too much integrity for this. And I will see you in a year. So I had to own that.
0: We went way deep and way vulnerable. And I appreciate that too, sharing all that, because that probably sets up a future podcast, because that became the childhood of our marriage. Mm-hmm. Which really, you know, created some some challenges that that you're alluding to the fact how you've had to work through that. We we both had to work and heal through a lot of things because our relationship didn't start in a I don't know if you call it from traditional a place way of or integrity. Yeah, yeah. It
1: didn't come from a place of start with yeah. And place so there there integrity. was a
0: lot of, there was a lot of trauma in the relationship to begin with. You know that I think I think goes back to probably the episode that we did around Valentine's Day where we talked about, you know, having that agreement that the, the escape hatch is welded shut, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, and it forced us to kind of work through those things. And, and, uh, uh you know, and, when it, and, what it, and it was not easy, but on the other side of that hard work and the tears and the pain and so forth of really working through that and, and seeing sort of the truth inside of both of us through that process and those, in that time period, has made, I think, our relationship just that much stronger. Mm
1: -hmm. I do think we, let's do another episode where we talk about that. You know, as you look at your relationship, look at the childhood, so to speak, of your the relationship that you're you're, you're in. That's the foundation that was laid, just like your childhood in your own life. And so if there's trauma there, you got to go back and clean that up. And it's, unfortunately, only you can do it for you, and your partner can only do it for them. And then the healing happens with both of you. You cannot. I wanted him to somehow fix it by groveling or apologizing or or sort of writing my name or my reputation. And unfortunately, I had to go in and do that work myself. And then he had to do the work in himself to forgive himself and also to be able to show empathy towards me. Because he was going through his own stuff. Imagine again, no one's asking you to feel sorry for my husband, but just imagine how that feels that you finally decide, I'm finally a man. I am 42. I am finally going to live an authentic life. And I'm, people may not like it, but you know what? Mom, dad, friends, everybody. I, I'm so sorry if this hurts, but I am ending this marriage and I'm finally going to live the life I've always wanted to live. And then you're like, uh, But now that my wife and I have talked about it, we can't quite do that for another few months because we're worried that it'll uh, bother our son and hurt his wakeboarding, (laughs) you know? So I'm sure that wasn't easy to be in love with me and be in that position where you couldn't really tell anyone what was happening. People were all talking and you knew that I was off completely by myself. I mean, every weekend that he was with his family... And even though he wasn't in a relationship with his ex anymore, they were cooking out. They were doing stuff. They were. It was like nothing was going on. Imagine how the torture I lived through, because for every Friday and Saturday night, I did stuff with my kids, or they were with their friends, or they were with their dad, and I was alone, and that was really hard. So yeah, let's do. We'll do an episode about that. That'll be really good. And I think another episode we need to get do together, which I've already shared on the show before, is when I wanted to have a baby. And you didn't. And this, the brutal journey of that. I mean, that's something that, I mean, that'll be like a six-hour <laughs> podcast, probably. <laughs> I mean, I've shared it with my friends here on BU, but I think we should get into that too, as well. So,
0: all right, Hang on, before yeah. before we wrap things up, though, are there, is there anything that...
1: Well, I want to go back and answer your question. Yeah, okay,
0: so I was going to go back yeah, to yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Sorry. So, I went off this long tangent, but I think it was a good one. So what TK asked me about 10 minutes ago was, what effect did it have on me? I'm going to put it in brutal terms, TK. You can handle it. What effect did it have on me marrying a cheater? I married a cheater. Cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. I married a guy who was known in our whole community and everybody knew, my family, everybody knew that he had had multiple affairs in his previous marriage. Ew. Who the hell wants to marry a guy like that, right? Who wants to have that in their rearview mirror of their marriage, right? Who wants to be worried about that? Well, I will tell you, I had so much faith in us and so much faith in my husband that on one level, I had no worry whatsoever, none, zero. So confident in us and in him. And at the same time, this is why we have to clean up our old trauma, Because our current circumstances will bring up and trigger old stuff that we either remember or don't remember from childhood. Why? So that it can come up to the surface and it can be healed. That's the whole reason it comes up. And when you're in a safe container and when you're in a stable relationship with a firm foundation, that's when your nervous system finally relaxes enough and gets out of that fight or flight stage and finally relaxes enough for your shit to come up. We've talked about that before, but we haven't talked about it in this regard. So one of the things that came up was I didn't realize I didn't trust men. I never had that story. A lot of women are like, "Oh, men are assholes." I'm like, "No, they're not. I love men. They're great. I have a great relationship relationship with my dad. I have a great relationship with my brothers. I have a great relationship with my stepfather. Like I have no trauma around men other than a horrible relationship with a boyfriend in college. And that, that's all I remembered. But when I married TK, what I didn't know that I know now is that his past triggered some things for me from my past, my childhood. One was the fear of what people will think. I was very concerned that I needed to be liked by people. And so when I married him, I would be very concerned if he would be like with someone from work let's say at an event and i didn't want people seeing him talking to a female alone because i was worried that people would think that he was being unfaithful because i was i was trying to control the perception people had of my husband and why would i do that well one that's people pleasing people pleasers by the way are very controlling they just don't know it people people who are people pleasers are actually simply trying to control the perception that people have of them. That's why they they're people pleasers. It's not because they're nicer people. So I was people pleasing. I was trying to control the perception also because I thought it reflected on me. In my childhood, I was always embarrassed of my home, embarrassed of like my my family as far as the way my parents showed up. I was constantly worried about what everybody outside thought of me. I always felt like I was like a fish living in a fishbowl, and the whole world was looking in the fishbowl at me and my family. So I was constantly trying to patch things and cover things and and make stories up to hide things. You know, my parents really, they're fine. They weren't fighting. Oh yeah, the shutters that are falling off the outside of our house. Oh no, the painter's left, but they'll be back. I was constantly like doing almost the same behavior that TK had to do to cover up his affairs. I was constantly running around making sure the narrative was what I wanted it to be because I didn't want to face reality. So when I married TK, I know now that one of the big triggers for me from what his infidelity in the past wasn't, will he do this to me? It was, what do people think of me in my marriage? They're going to think this marriage I have with him is a sham. They're going to think that he's going to do it to me. And he's a nice person. I don't want people to think that of my husband. Or I don't want to look bad and look like a wimpy, you know, loser. So there's that. So how would that manifest? That would manifest in jealousy. That would manifest in me saying, well, who all is there? How many people are at the table? Like, well, what do you mean you have a female sales rep and you're going to go to lunch with her? Yeah, I'm not okay with that. Now, side note, all of his affairs in the past were somehow connected to his employment. He somehow knew these people through work. So that was a whole trigger for me as well. But it was mostly of what worried about what other people would think if they saw. And then the other thing is, if I'm really honest, I'm not proud of this, I used it against him like a weapon. Like when we would get into an argument or there would be something else going on in our marriage, I would say things like, yeah, well, at least I never cheated on someone. Or, um, yeah, well, you wouldn't know because you're the guy who cheated on your wife for 18 years. I mean, I was mean. It was mean, it was not okay. but that was my stuff coming up. That was my fear coming up. That was my insecurity coming up. And I think, if I'm really honest, there was a subconscious fear as well, because even though I have a great relationship with my dad, when my mom and dad would argue when I was really little, like first grade, she would talk about this woman that he was dating some affair. I've never asked my parents about it. We've never talked about it, believe it or not. But I remember as a child, also my mom sitting me down and making me read the letter that my dad wrote to his girlfriend about how he was going to leave us and he was going to marry her. Now, I'm saying this in such a calm, cool, collected way. You might be like, what the hell? Like, I'm telling you, this is how trauma works, right? It's very sneaky and very sly. I had no pain around that letter. I remember her reading me the letter, and I didn't like it, but that was it. What I realize now is that when my husband, now TK, when I would remember that he was unfaithful, not to me, to his ex, he had that sort of scarlet letter, as he said, or this black mark on him, I realized through a lot of work that I did have a deep-rooted fear subconsciously that he would do it to me because my dad did it to my mom. Now you might say you just said you didn't have that fear. Consciously I didn't. I really never thought about that. I never thought, oh, he's gonna cheat on me. Never. But my body thought that. My body was holding on to those memories from when I was a kid. So that's how I'd answer that.
0: That's good. Yeah. And and again, I, I can definitely say today I don't feel that feeling from you at all. We've been through a lot. We've uh we've worked on a lot. And I would say that our nine year anniversary is in a couple weeks. And our marriage, our family, I think us, us as individuals are the best place that we've ever been in our life.
1: And oh, I totally agree. I agree. Okay, so one thing I do want to say, just because we said we would say it, we don't have to talk much about it. And this isn't to like air your dirty laundry, but again, we talk. I'm giving them a behind the scenes view of someone who's actually done this. So you did have two love affairs where you were in love with these people. One, you actually talked about marrying her or maybe both of them, I don't know. But we also mentioned that later in the relationship, and you didn't have kids at the time, but later in the relationship, you did have children. And you had a couple of, I will call them flings. I'm not going to call them affairs. Based on what you've told me, there was no love happening. How does someone go from, I was searching for a soulmate and I just was not the person who had the guts to leave my marriage, to the fling? Well, the the couple I'm thinking of. They were flings. Tell them how that happens. Because you mentioned self-destruction to me.
0: So I would say that from my perspective, there's a point at which that the behavior almost becomes destructive, right? You know, it's, and and again, I'm I'm not an alcoholic, but maybe there's, maybe there's some sort of thread and and I can't articulate, I can't explain it, but After I sort of resigned, because I I always, I knew that at some point in time that, and again, my thought was, I think I mentioned this earlier, that when the kids were out of high school, you know, is when I would get a divorce. And at some point in time, I found myself, I'd say, kind of in a spiral of sorts from an emotional perspective with regard to my relationship. And I would say my behavior just kind of became reckless. Mm -hmm. And as I look back on it, I didn't even really care if I got caught. This was not a conscious thought by by any stretch, but I would say it's a subconscious way of acting. That, in a way, almost if I got caught, that would be better, because then it would then then I'd be forced to make the change that I've been wanting to make, you know, for a long, long time. Again, that was not conscious, yeah. But that that's the only thing that I can kind of connect to, sort of why some of the recklessness.
1: And again, not that any of it's okay, but we're not talking Tiger Woods here. (laughs) There's like two people. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but still, because that, I mean, we just got to be real and raw about that. That's super, it is reckless. It's super hurtful. It's extremely out of integrity. And, you know, you had a wife and children and you were not in love with these people. You weren't, there was nothing they were giving you. There was no soulmate connection and you had a sex life with your wife. Some people have sex because their partner, I'm sorry, they have affairs because their partner won't have sex with them. And that's a real thing. Okay. I hear that a lot from people, but you had an active sex life.
0: I I just thought of something. I would call it almost like emotional numbing. Mm. I don't know if that's a good way to think about it or a good term to put to it, but it was, I would only be able to equate the later years as no different than Again, the alcoholic taking a drink, you know, or the drug user taking the drug to numb the pain.
1: Mm-hmm. Except you, I mean, yeah, but you, I want to be clear, you don't have a sex addiction.
0: No, no, no. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that at all. But there's emotional, like, yeah. like hurt and pain yes. inside of me. I, there
1: are people who gamble. There are people who shop, women who shop. They, they literally will shop and spend money and buy things to try to fill the void. I wouldn't call it numbing so much as trying to yeah. fill this void that they know is there because they have no connection with their husband or they have no sex life with their husband and it doesn't really ever fill it. So that's why they keep doing it.
0: Well, and I, I mean, I haven't thought about this in a long time and I'm I'm just sitting here thinking kind of as you're talking that, that maybe part of it too was the fact that This had been years after the first affair and the second one that were both very, very emotional. And again, it was almost to to your point. There's a void there that that I knew existed. And as the years went on, the void got bigger and bigger, and the yearning for that got became more and more. And I was, I I would say, I was almost resigned to, it's not going to have. I'm not going to have that. You know, Mm -hmm. and so I'm filling this with, again, just reckless behavior, I guess, is what Mm -hmm. I
1: would call it. Yeah, and I think it's also important to say, too, and you had never heard of, you know, inner work. You had never talked to a therapist. You had never looked at childhood trauma. All of that was just a foreign language and a a different universe for you. So it's not like you had anything to hang on to to help you even ask yourself, like, why am I doing this? Not only
0: that, but I didn't have, not only did I not have any concept of, you know, the idea of going to therapy to talk about something that's certainly not anything related to hiring a coach or somatic work or any of the stuff that we've done, you know, over the last several years. But I also didn't have any friends. I had a lot of acquaintances. I had tons of, I knew lots and lots of people, but I didn't have any real like deep friendships Mm -hmm. with other men that I could talk to uh, or that I felt safe talking to. You know, by any stretch. In fact, one of the things I think early on in our relationship that I noticed pretty quickly was that I I jokingly say you had twenty five best friends that if there was an issue, no matter what the issue was, you you could go talk to them. And I realized that uh, while I I knew a ton of people, I didn't have anyone like that. I could go pay a therapist one hundred and fifty bucks an hour, you know. And so that was one of the things that I sort of set on a quest to build those kind of friendships with other men.
1: Mhm. Okay, so we're going to wrap here. And, you know, I just want to say that if you're someone who has experienced this and someone was unfaithful, I can't even imagine what that betrayal feels like. I want to be really clear that this episode is not to explain it away or justify it or say that your pain isn't real or to say that, well, it's it's as long as you understand why people cheat, now it's okay. Not at all. What I wanted to do with this episode was humanize the person who does it. I wanted to get into the psyche of someone who's done this, who's a really good person, who's not a narcissist to understand, like, how does this happen? You know, and to remember that it does take two to tango, you know, that it does, it is a co-creation on the part of both people, although it's not okay and it's out of integrity to step outside of a marriage and have any type of affair with someone else although it's not okay and it's it's wrong even though we, we don't like to use the term wrong a lot on the show and no one deserves that it's interesting to just take our armor down for a minute and get behind the why of it yeah but why does that happen you know and how is it that the spouse didn't have any idea like what part did that play you know how is it that There was no conversation around the level of or the lack of intimacy in the relationship. You know, how did that breakdown happen? Okay, honey. So thank you so much for your vulnerability and for your time and for sharing something that I'm sure was really, really, really uncomfortable uh, to share. And just know that it 100% is a gift to the world. And however people choose to receive it is a reflection of where they are in their journey.
0: I appreciate you having me on the show again. Thank you very much.